Okay, so we are in our present series of standing as we go through Lent, and we're looking at different characteristics or um, practices of what it is that makes a disciple, of, of how we are called to stand. Uh, we're called to stand firm and, and unwavering. What's our response? What's our response to God? What are our responsibilities to God out of this? And last Sunday I spoke on, on standing in the Word and how we can't move forward and take steps in discipleship until we've learned to stand. Okay, we've got to stand in the Word. And today we're going to look at standing in faith, which is very much based on coming out of the Word See, because the Word of God is God's words. I said that last week, if you remember. It is God's words. So we've got to treat it with some reverence. We've got to treat it as you would... I'll be very careful how I say this now. How you would treat guys, how you treat your wives' words. Yeah? How you listen to them. If you listen to them. <laughs> if there's no distractions going on. And the worst for it, if there's a game of you know, the football that you play with your feet, soccer on the TV, then I zone out and I'm, I'm pretty pointless. And someone has to really get my attention to take me away from, from that game. Yeah? What's getting your attention? And is it God's word? Or has he got to really grab you to take your focus away from what else you're, you're looking at? See, because God's word leads us to the Word made flesh. It introduces us to Jesus and to have a faith in him. And so, yeah, today we're looking at faith. But what does it mean to stand in faith? What does it mean to be prepared to stand in faith? And how do we actually do this? Well, if we look at the definition of faith in the dictionary, then we get something like... Um, a complete trust or confidence in someone or something that isn't based on proof. And so for us as disciples, followers of Jesus, you could say we proclaim that the faith that we have, it's based on trusting in God's word. Right? So it's not that we don't have a proof. It's just that we don't have the kind of proof that the world might expect to have. Because God's word reveals everything that we need to know about him. His character, who he is, and that he is who he says he is. And so proclaiming our faith is actually making a commitment to that fact. Proclaiming faith is to stand in the word as we stand on faith. So, like I said last week, not arguing with scripture because we're not living our lives in a way which align with it, instead arguing with our life so that it becomes to match what Scripture says. And the Hebrews, to the writers, um, he describes faith as the assurance of things that are hoped for and the conviction of the things which are unseen. Okay? Faith isn't something 
which is based on what we have seen or what we see now. It's much more the assurance of what we hope for. But here's a question for you. What are you hoping for? What do we hope for? Last week's message, this week's message, they're very connected. You could say they're intrinsically linked because we're building now on what we looked at last week so that we can then go forward to look at what it is to stand in prayer, to stand in forgiveness, to stand in truth, and my best trait, to stand in humility. Come on, that was funny. That was, no one, no, come on. Never mind. I said that, I didn't, I didn't use that earlier service. I used that as people were leaving, and it went over most people's heads. But, you know, without faith, without faith, what assurance do we have? What assurance do we have without faith? What are we holding on to? Faith has been handed down to us from generation to generation. It was all the way back to the start of those who had written the scriptures for us. Okay? Faith, it's handed down to us. It's something for us to take on, to become part of who we are. You know, we want it to permeate throughout our entire being. It's what we're called to put on. To, to wear it, and to wear it with pride. Yeah, and the writer of the Hebrews, he goes on to say that by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was made from that which is not visible. See, we, what we see in creation as we look out on the world, it's not just simply there. It hasn't just simply become. It's not just in, just present, coming from nowhere. See, if you believe in God, you've got to believe in creation. You can't believe that any other thing. God, you believe in God, you believe that God is outside of time and space. Okay? You believe that he was not created, he is the creator. That's a massive part of faith. Kind of the starting point, you could say. He existed before what we see came into being. He called it into life. And that's linked because when we read God's word, we're saying it's God's words. And when you look at John 1... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he called that which is into being. Yeah? I missed a bit out there because I didn't want to go through the whole thing for you. Because <laughs> that isn't the focus, and that's not in my notes, but that's where my mind went just now. So, God creates. He's called everything into life. And if we look at the world through a different lens, not through that lens then what do we see the world as? We see the world as just a thing, an accident, as, as just a place, as something that was created by these colliding atoms. 
I don't know science very well, so if it wasn't atoms, someone can tell me afterwards. You know, there was just this thing, and it happened. Okay? Where did they come from? How did it happen? How did it arrive? God made it happen. God created the things that, when they're put together, create something else. It's not an accident. It's not a mess. There is meaning behind it all. Because if there isn't, this is just a place. It's a place which, if we look at it in that way, we can say it's unjust, it's cruel, and there's not much else to it. It's meaningless. But we know, thank God we know, it isn't meaningless. It isn't cruel and unjust. That's not his creation. Yes, through the fall, we are cruel. We are unjust as people, and that reflects on the world. But the creation is what does, what does he say when he's created it in, in, in Genesis? Come on, shout it out. What does he say? It's good. It's good. Every time I take my son for a haircut, <laughs> he's looking at me now, he's here. Um, he looks out the window of the car, and there's a certain area we drive through to get there, and he goes, every time, he says, I agree with God. It is good. It is good. There's this one place that he just loves. And he's like, I agree. And then that, that, he allows that to influence everything else that he looks at. Because if he agrees with God there, well, then he agrees with God other places as well. And he says, it is good. The world is good. It's not a waste of time. It's not meaningless. Nothing is wasted. Nothing's wasted. It's all good. But that can be sometimes difficult for us to say. It can be sometimes difficult for us to hear. Because if we're saying that the world is good, everything is good, everything is from God, well, we have to speak the truth that if God is omnipresent, which he is, and if he's omni, omnipotent, which he is, then nothing can happen in this world without him letting it happen. That can be quite difficult for us to grasp. Because we look at some things and say, well, that shouldn't happen. And that's wrong. And don't get me wrong, there are things that shouldn't happen. There are things that are wrong that go on in this world. And it's not that God makes them happen. But it's that he doesn't stop them from happening. And that can be hard. That can be hard for us to get. That can be hard for us to talk about. It can be hard for us to, to talk to other people in our, in our family circles, in our friendship circles, to have those conversations, because it can mess with your head. Trust me, I know, it messes with mine. It really does, as I sit and wrestle with some of these things. And I say, 
I've not, it's not that I've been there, it's that I am there. So I can relate to those of you who are scratching your head a little bit, who are like, wait, God lets it happen. Because if we're saying God is the king of the cosmos, yeah, if he's omnipotent, if he's omnipresent, then he's in control. And everything that happens, he allows it to happen. That makes following him hard sometimes. That makes being a disciple not easy. Or should I say, difficult. Because <laughs> difficult and easy aren't always these, the same opposite, on the same spectrum. Yeah? It's not complicated to follow God once we get it. But it isn't always easy. You've got to remember that definition of discipleship that I've been trying to get you all to really kind of sink in. Yeah? Discipleship is what? It's moving from unbelief to belief in every area of our lives. Okay? And this is one of those areas of our life where we really have to move towards belief. See, it's a journey. And I'm on that journey too. For me, it started probably in my early 20s is when it really started. Yeah, I'd been brought up in, in a faith home. And I, I, I kind of, I knew it. But I didn't know it. And then I allowed God's love, his grace, his mercy to, I guess the best word I think is to uh, uh, envelope me. Um, and I took that and I responded to it and I took the opportunity to step into relationship so that I could stand in faith. And just this week, someone said to me in, uh, I think it was just after prayer for all, uh, they said that welcoming God into our lives and trusting in him and, and turning to him, to, to him in faith, it, it, it doesn't mean and I think their words were, you get to live in a rose garden. And what does a rose bring to your mind? Pictures of I mean, love, romance, nicey-niceiness. That, that's not the picture of faith. Yeah, because I can be part of faith, but that's not the complete package. That's not, it doesn't sum it up. You don't get to live in a rose garden. You don't get to smell the roses all day long. Sometimes you get to smell the stuff they put on the roses to make them look nice. You know? Um, and, and in that, one of my favorite stories of Jesus is in Matthew 17. And uh, here, you get a, a, a guy, he comes up to Jesus, and, and he says... Jesus, you've got to help me. My boy, you know, kind of not doing so good. And, uh, and he throws himself at Jesus' face. He says, your disciples couldn't do anything for him. Help. And, and Jesus' response is, is kind of a bit of a mixed bag in that he has a mini outburst to start. Yeah? And what does he say? He says... You faithless and perverse generation. 
says, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring the boy here. And as I think on that, I think, yeah, there are some people I, I ask, how much longer must I put up with you? <laughs> just, just get what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus is saying. You've still not got it. And he said, you're faithless. Now, it doesn't mean you've got absolutely no faith. It just means it's, it's not where it kind of needs to be. And we can talk about that in, in a little bit more. Because what he follows it with after that outburst, he says, bring the boy. He's got compassion. He heals the boy. And how does he heal him? He drives a demon out of him. Okay? And, 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 and then, after that's happened, the disciples come to him and they say, Lord, why, why, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? And, and his response to them is, is one of, of saying, because of your lack of faith. Your lack of faith. And he goes on to talk about having faith the size of a mustard seed. How it can move a mountain from here to there. Because with faith, nothing will be impossible for you. That's what Jesus says. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, that shows us that faith makes a difference, doesn't it? But I, I just want to say, it's not just about the faith of those who you might pray for when you're praying for these things. You know, Jesus just drove out a demon. He's just gone through an exorcism to bring healing about someone yeah now whether you're praying for healing for someone whether you're praying for anything else going on in this world it's not just about what you want you've actually got to believe that God wants it more than you want it because if you're not believing that I don't think it's ever going to happen what you're praying for, God's got to want it more than you want it. You've got to believe that God wants it more than you want it. Yeah? God wants reconciliation with the world. So if you're praying it, really believe that God wants it more than you want it. If you're praying for healing for someone, believe that God's got that healing in mind for them. It might not look like we, we, we think it would look, but he wants it more than you want it. But to do that, we've got to have faith the size of a mustard seed. How big is a mustard seed? Is that about, about that big? And my t-shirt says, I wish I had faith as big as a mustard seed. I wish I had faith that was that big. Because I know I ain't moving no mountains today but I want to. How do I move to that point? What is, how do we, how do we look at faith? I've got a friend who, a, a youth worker, and they were looking at, what do we call our summer camp? And the whole group was sat around there, and they're all like, da -da, call it big faith. And they all kind of, yeah. Except one person who was like, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. 
because Jesus said you need faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. That's not big. <laughs> what are we teaching the kids if we're talking about having a big faith? Well, no, let's just go for them. You know, that is a big faith. That's a ginormous faith. Let's put things in perspective. It all really comes down and returns to the fact that faith is a practical commitment. It's a practical commitment. It's one that requires our trusting in God. You can't have faith if you don't trust God. If we don't believe he is who he says he is, if we don't believe that his words teach us all that we need to know about him, and that in that he wants what's best for us, C.S. Lewis uh, said it brilliantly, really, um, when he was talking about faith. He uses the word Christianity. I, I would interject faith where he, he puts that word. But, but his quote is, says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see the sun, but because by it I see everything. It is through faith that we should see everything. Faith's important. It was important in the time of the Reformation, so much so that it's one of the five souls. But it's kind of the pin on which they all swing around. Because what is it? It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to God's word alone, for his glory alone. Yeah, it's faith in Christ that we receive as a gift of grace which, if we're honest, we receive because of the words that we read in Scripture and are passed down to us, knowing that it's all for God's glory and not our own. It's a lens. And we really need to have um, faith-tinted glasses as we look at the world. And for me, the passage that connects it all together, really, is uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And if you've got your Bibles and you want to open that, that'd be great. And you'll, you'll see that, you know, I'm a lot like Paul. Because, you know, what, there's 24, 24 verses in Ephesians chapter 6. And in verse 10, he says, finally. So that should tell you whereabouts I am in the message for today. You know, um, he says in verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. If there was such, th such a thing as a Roman mic drop, I think that would be it. Okay, I'm not going to drop the mic, don't worry. I don't want to ruin the sound system. But that's what it is. Eh? That is as brilliant a statement about faith as you will ever see and ever read. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. And it, it, that's what faith is. Being strong in him. Living as he would want. Stepping into a place whereby his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And Paul goes on to remind us that 
that if we're going to really step into this fight, if we're going to stand on faith, stand against the enemy who's trying to mess with the idea of faith, we've got to stand firm, and we've got to stand firm, and I love how he says, against the wiles of the devil. We're instructed to put on the armor of God. We've got to stand in faith. And we're given this equipment to protect ourselves from those attacks. Because the enemy wants you to sit down, not to stand up. To use a sporting analogy, he wants you to sit on the sidelines and not be in the game. And Paul tells us to withstand that. To withstand the attempts that the enemy has to disrupt the mission and the ministry that you're called to. To stand up to that attack. And we talked a little bit last week how part of our standing up is to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's to attack back. But every other element of the armor of God is a defensive piece of equipment. I'm just going to look at them very briefly. They all cover the front of your body. Why do they cover the front of your body? Because you're supposed to stand firm. You're not supposed to turn and run. The second you turn and run, the enemy's got you because your protection isn't there. You're putting on the armor of God so that you can stand firm. That's what Paul tells you. And so fasten that belt of truth around your waist. I don't know if you know much about kind of Roman soldier has his tunic on. You know, that belt does a whole lot <laughs> to, <laughs> to stop some flapping about in battle. Yeah? Tie the belt of truth around your waist to keep everything in place. Okay? And uh, to come to C.S. Lewis again, That truth, C.S. Lewis talks about him trying to prevent anybody from saying foolish things about Jesus. Okay, I, I want to prevent you from being foolish, he says in, uh, in his, his book, um, uh, Mere Christianity. He says, uh, uh, don't go around saying stupid things like Jesus was a moral teacher. He was a good person, but not accepting that he was God, because they don't fit together. Because either he was who he said he is, or he's a madman. I'm not going to read the quote directly, but Lewis goes on to say he might as well call himself a poached egg. Yeah. Either he is who he says he is or he's something worse. And we should put him on the sidelines. We should label him a fool and we should ignore what he has to say. He says it's patronizing nonsense about Jesus being just a human good teacher and not the Son of God. 
to truly fasten that truth around our belts, put it around our waist and really tie it all together, we've got to say it's the truth. Not, not have this um, modern debate, nonsensical arguments. You can have your truth and I'll have my truth and we can go on and live our own lives. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's only the truth. Because the truth, Jesus said it himself, I am the truth. I am the way, the life, and the truth. We don't, we don't, and we shouldn't fall into the trap of trying to recognize other truths. You know? We're all taught to be nicey-nicey and not offend people. And okay, following, you know, we talk about in the past, the kind of persons of peace, right? If they're not ready to hear it, don't talk about it. But don't accept what they're saying as a truth, because there is only one truth. And then we're told to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this leads into a whole truth statement again, because we are made righteous in Christ. Yeah? Yeah? Well, scripture tells us, and we believe God's words, so we are made righteous in Christ. It reminds us that Yahweh is the one true God. But it also tells us he is the one true judge. And if we're going to talk about righteousness, then we have to talk about judgment. Because what is righteousness? Righteousness is being made right. And how do we need to be made right if we're not going to be judged? And another word that people will throw out here and use is justification. Well, if we talk about justification, you've got to have a judge. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point of being justified? Judgment comes. God is a judge. And that links right back to what we just said about the truth and the belt of truth and holding on to that truth. Because God's judging those who don't and I've said in the past I think it was in the last series how we are we are saved by grace but there comes a point when grace stops being available and that point is either when we die or when Jesus comes again because that is the point of judgment and at that point grace stops being available. You've either accepted that you're justified in Christ, that you are made free in Christ, that you are righteous because of what he has done for you and you live into the grace that all that encompasses, or you don't. And that's what we're judged on at the end of the time. Like Paul said today, from now until the end of our days. We've got to not only stand in our faith, we've got to, to, to live it out. And then Paul talks about putting on the sandals of the gospel of peace. Yeah? You hear gospel, gospel just means news, good news. And we're talking about peace. And why do we need to stand in peace? Put peace on our feet? Well, peace is a good, solid piece of footwear that stops the enemy from being able to push us over. Okay, if we truly believe God's words, we know that when Jesus comes again, he is going to bring peace 
for eternity. And is that not good news? Is that not something we are hoping for as we stand in our faith? They're going to help us stand fast and, yeah, the enemy's not going to be able to tip us over if we've got our feet on the ground solidly living for peace. And it sounds a bit odd that we talk about armor and wearing sandals of peace when peace is the opposite of hostility, which is actually what we wear armor for. But in that, if we take peace into a fight, the outcome of the fight can be very different. Yeah? We think of peacemakers. then comes the shield of faith shield of faith which is going to protect you from the flying arrows that come your way if you raise it up have a shield of faith but just carry it by your side it's not going to be doing you very good and uh, as the arrows come your way they're going to hit you if you're not lifting up your shield And I don't know how many people here know English history, but I'm reminded of Harold Hardrada, who just won a battle and he became the king. And then in the Battle of Hastings in 1066, William the Conqueror lands and and goes for a fight, and Harold Hardrada got shot in the eye by an arrow. That's the end of him. He's no longer king. We don't lift our shield, we don't get to live into the call that we have. We've got to protect ourselves with faith. Faith is what leads us into the battlefield, but it's also what protects us while we're there. We're in a battle. Faith is what's taken us there. And the enemy is seeking to destroy us because we have stepped onto that battlefield. Remember, he wants us to go and sit down and not stand. Because if we're there, he's got to fight. And he'd like the easy option if he could get it. In all of this, I'm reminded of the words of Paul. We've got to believe it in our hearts, but also proclaim it with our mouths. And last week, what did we look at when Jesus was in uh, in, in in the desert being tempted? He declared it with his mouth. He said, it is written. We need to do the same as we stand in faith. Because faith... In Jesus is to say he is our Lord and our Savior. And how many people want him to be their Savior, but aren't prepared to make him their Lord? How often do we sort of slip into that even? Remember, discipleship is moving from unbelief to to belief in all areas of life. That's declaring him as Lord in every area that we walk. So, some of the challenge in, in all of that is, how are you serving the king? Because to, stay, to say he is your savior means you've got to tell everyone that he's your king. You've got to live as though he's your king. It's Lord and savior. It's a, I don't know the word. <laughs> it's gone out of my head. Um, it's a two for one. <laughs> yeah, see, it's, a, it's a buy one, get one free. <laughs> you know, you want him to be your savior, Well done. He is your Lord. Right? You got it for free. You might not have wanted it, but it's there. 
Live into it. Live into it. You've got to declare that he's the king and that you're working for his kingdom. Because he can't be your savior if you're not doing that. Because it's the, it comes together. But the devil wants you to think that you can have it both ways. He wants you to think, Jesus is your savior, but he doesn't have to be your Lord. It doesn't have to be. And he'll try and get in there. He'll try and mess with what you, what you know to be true. And that leads us into wearing the helmet of salvation because that protects your head. Put on the helmet of salvation. Keep the enemy out of your mind. Don't let him in there. Don't let those earworms take over. Stick to what you know to be true and have that protection that the helmet provides. Sometimes I forget to put the helmet on. I let little things take over and I need people around me to say, snap out of it. <laughs> Don't be so stupid. Don't be foolish. And help me to get back to the point where I can put the helmet on and not lock stupidity in there. Because to walk as a disciple, what have we got to do? We've got to stand in the word of God. We said that last week. We've got to stand in the word of God. That's what we've got to build on. That's what we've got to base everything else on. And that's what we base our faith on. If our faith is not built on the word, then it isn't faith in God. And faith is to speak against common culture, faith isn't personal. Don't fall into that trap of letting the enemy tell you it's your faith. It's not your faith. It's our faith. Faith isn't personal because faith is for sharing. It's something God has given you, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of those who will listen to you. So in order to combat these lies, in order to combat this fight that's coming at us, we've got to stand in truth. Truth that the word tells us. Truth which Jesus says, he is the truth. And the truth leads to the way. And the way leads to life. How can we stand in truth and go a different way? We can't. If we choose to go a different way, that means we're rejecting life and we're rejecting truth and we're not heading to life. The only way to get to life is to go in the right way that truth leads you. So we need to stand in truth. We need to stand fast. We need to stand strong. And we need to stand true. if you stand true you're going to walk straight in the way toward life and you might just maybe maybe get faith 
that's as big as a mustard seed. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you, I just said it, as Lord. And we want to declare that right now. And if you've not really thought about that so much, and you're happy with Jesus as your Savior, but you're not so happy with him as your Lord, then just commit again to practical faith which is stepping into recognize him, recognizing him as your king. Because that's what he is. But the kingdom is seen only where you declare him to be Lord. So maybe just bring to mind some of those times when you have, you have seen the kingdom because you've declared him as Lord. And then recommit to change in some of those areas where you haven't made him Lord. And in the first service today, I just want to share a picture that was given of standing in lava. And if you stand in lava, I ask, what do you get? And somebody went, and you just burn away and we just pray for that whoosh of faith as we stand in faith that everything is connected to it that we wear faith tinted glasses that you see the world in a fresh light as you leave today and Lord our prayer for the church, your church across this world, for all believers, all disciples that are following you, is for faith as big as a mustard seed. Because Lord, we want to move mountains for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.